gavel this to order. Thanks for having. Thanks for uh, well. Thanks for having me on your pod on my podcast. I guess I was going to say because <laughs> you reached out to me actually. Because we've did. been you know we've been buddies for a while and we've been texting a lot. Just we always text. Um, we have our senior coffee text uh, yeah. days and um, we don't have a regular time set. But I feel like. Like we, um, I thought you were about to vape for a second and I was like, yeah, bro, you get it. No, it's chapstick, <laughs> just chapstick. Um, but uh, you know, there's, there's, you reached out to me and you're like, can we do a podcast? And so I kind of want to let you sort of lead the charge here in terms of what we're talking about, even though it's technically my podcast. I'm, I'm curious then here. It's important to talk about why I said that. Yes. Well, it first of all, do day... you have, do you have a bourbon poured? I don't. Oh, um, Mike, Jesus. Even more important than the chambray. It's, you know. You drinking bourbon and water? Is that what it's, we're doing? No, it's an old fashioned, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh it was on a day in which you had said to me, you were talking about my you wanted to know my opinion oh. on Dana White. Oh is that, yeah, right? yeah, is that the yes. right name? Okay. Uh who runs the WWE? Yeah, UFC. No, MMA. UFC. She, UFC. He's, the, UFC. He's, the pres- he's the president Sorry. of of a uh, ultimate fighting championship, which is the main yeah. sort of And former fighter, yeah? No. He's not a former oh. fighter at all. Okay. He's never fought a day in his life. Just in that world. Not even fought in that world. He's just a promoter. Just, just a promoter. Okay. Yeah. So like uh, that, you, we were talking about that and the fact that this guy had a very public video come out of him on New Year's Eve with his wife in a club mm-hmm. where she hits him and he hits her back a few times and, mm-hmm. and smacks her around pretty good. And uh people were calling for his job and everything like that and then and I don't know anything about this world you know mm-hmm. you you follow this stuff religiously and mm-hmm. I do not have the ability to watch it which is very uh, hypocritical of me because I do enjoy like hockey fights and football you know when when there's a killer hit in football and all that but there's something about two men in a ring even boxing I just don't en- enjoy that but I would even say sorry to, and again not to correct Correct you, but uh, the UFC is something now that has expanded out to be two women in a ring. Two Sorry. men in a ring. Like, like it's, it's kind of I'm like... I'm really bad lately. I, I've been no, no, really no, bad at gender-inclusive language. Um, no. Okay. Well, no, so, I'm saying that because it didn't used to be the case. It was... So, when I first started watching it, it was all all men. But now it's definitely changed. So the uh, the issue then is he came out really quick and apologized. Mm-hmm. And should that be enough for the public to be satisfied and drop it and leave it alone and let it be a personal matter. Mm-hmm. And then the very next day we learn about these Biden documents yeah. and he comes out and owns up to it right away and mm-hmm. says, yeah, we sent them in, you know, my lawyers immediately when they discovered them, sent them in. Mm-hmm. Um, should that be enough? And that was mm-hmm. before they had found even more. So the question then is like, how much does, an apology mean to the public and i say it it means a whole hell of a lot but um that's just the pr stance you know like just to to save your career i'm really like i think the biggest thing is that i don't think that we should be having a say in this guy's like marriage issues and I know it's like a big deal for people who follow the sport because this is a guy who's very visible, I assume. But it really should just be between him and his wife. Now, if he set out, if he came out and said like, oh, you know, I'm not, I didn't do that. Then that's like a completely different issue. Then that says something about like his um, 
fitness to maybe run that organization. I don't know. But even then, like, does it matter if he's if if someone's unfit to or, to to run an organization? Should we care as a supporter of that organization? I don't yeah. know. Like, I feel like I'm I'm kind of swirling all over the place here. But um, what it comes down to is something I said to you is that I thought I made an assumption that people in fighting sports had a higher instance of domestic violence mm. than people mm. who are not in fighting sports. I know that that's true of law enforcement. I've seen the studies where there's mm. just a larger percentage of uh, there's a larger percentage of domestic violence in law enforcement mm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to figure out why that is. <clears throat> I did not look up any figures about fighting sports or anything like that, but I did see that Bryant Gumbel had done a documentary or a special about this very thing. Hmm. Um, I did not watch it. I'm not sure where it is, but I haven't, I haven't watched it. I so guess, it's, a, it's not, I'm not yeah. the first person to say this is the point. Like it's, it's, it's apparently a thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, the, the, <clears throat> I would say that the Biden and the, the Dana White things are too, I mean, they're too unique uh, circumstances that I think oh, absolutely. Should, should be sort of parsed out uh, separately. The, the Dana White one is one that I'm again. This is like the the speaks to this to the nature of the siloed worlds in which we live. Like you know, as someone who follows, I mean, I remember walking into like movie re- rental places as a kid, like Blockbuster. You know, when I was nine years old, and seeing the UFC VHS tape, like UFC one, but it was on the same rack with the pornos and like faces really? of de- faces of death. And like some of those other like the the things that were deemed too dangerous for public, you know, because it was like people stomping each other's heads and like, you know, kicking each other in the face. And as the sport has developed, rules have been put in place to take away obviously destructive things to the future of someone else fighting, kicking to the face, soccer kicks, yeah. 12 to 12 to six elbows, like thing, things that. So the sport has evolved over time, except... And all that stuff's relative, because to me, someone who mm-hmm. doesn't watch the sport, mm-hmm. I'm looking at it the same as that UFC 1 faces of yeah, death yeah. Yeah, yeah. level. Like, we were, we were at a restaurant with Ali's parents maybe, like, um, a month ago, is mm-hmm. over the Christmas holiday, and we were eating, and UFC was on, mm-hmm. and there was blood all over one of the fighters mm-hmm. and all over the mat, mm-hmm. and we had to ask them to turn it off. Because like I was feeling physically ill seeing that, um, I just especially while I'm eating, um, you know, it was a sports bar and there were people there probably there to watch fighting. But that one TV that was right above us where we were, mm. you know, could see it. We don't want to see blood and and mm-hmm. violence yeah. is what what we would consider that. I'm sure that you probably don't consider it violence. Um, I, I, no, I mean, I absolutely can. I absolute, ab, absolutely, absolutely do consider it violence, except to me, like I parse it out in the same way I would parse out like boxing. Like, I think if you listen, yeah. there's a, uh, Mike, Mike Tyson has a great podcast <clears throat> called uh, hot boxing with Mike Tyson. He's now like, he has his own weed line. He does mushrooms. Like Mike, from what I knew of Mike Tyson growing up, domestic abuse, violence, sure. all of the things, um, when I hear him talk about the fighting world and I hear fighters talk about the fighting world, to me, it's, yeah, it's absolutely violence, but it's sanctioned. There are rules. Like this isn't, this isn't nom smoky. There are rules. Like, like <laughs> there's, it's not just a street fight. Like the, the level well, there are. Yeah. I so, think so, so too, but 
I, I also think that living in that when when that is your world mm-hmm. for the majority of your life, mm-hmm. your ability to spin into rage uh, is lubricated a little bit more than the average person um, to access that that power and that rage. It might be a little bit more accessible if you do it for a living. I don't know. I'm. This is a a theory I'm throwing out there, and I I don't know if there's any data to support this or if I'm right or wrong. But it just seems to me that if your job is to beat the crap out of people, then when you get in in insanely jealous at your wife or or it seems like you have been wronged personally. You know, it's it's that saying that a lot of um, a lot of addicts who are in recoveries have the saying uh, when when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And I think uh, you you brought that argument up when we were texting, uh, not as flushed out as you just did. But um, and I think my response back to you was something along the lines of like. For you, Mike, like your skill set is one which includes fooling people. Mm hmm. And getting them to believe something that's not true in that very moment so that you can tr- you can show them later what is the truth, right? Sure. Even though you have fooled them the entire time into sort of being distracted and not believing what they actually are seeing. Yeah. So no, – but Sorry, let me finish. The, oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The – if I were to just play that same scenario, then the likelihood would be then for you, Mike, when you are in a stressful situation, for instance, with – you know, with a family member or something that when it comes to somebody's trying to hold you accountable or you've done something or they've done something and you feel like you are in a weird position, right? And it's making you uncomfortable. Do you resort to your skill set, which involves fooling people as a way to get out of that moment? Yeah. First of all, very skillful of you to say that entire thing without using the word lie or lying. Um, because, <laughs> well, no, because I've, I've, I know you for a long time. I know that's not what you're doing, but it is what I'm doing. In but fact, there's uh, levels to the game. That's what I'm saying. Like, you're, I, I, I have a routine in the show now about this, um, mm-hmm. about it is my job to be a liar. And how does that sit with me? Mm-hmm. Um, and all the reason, the only reason I bring it up in the, in the context of the show is that it gets me to this point where I can say, so I thought I would do some magic in which I tell you the truth, which, you know, and, and we talk about the liar's paradox and that whole thing. But, I think that it is very easy for magicians as a whole to be manipulative, uh, to gaslight. Really, gaslighting is probably a better term for what we do than lying, because what our job is, is not to fool you. It's to get you to fool yourself and to convince you that you're wrong about what you just saw, um, you know, or, or to convince you that what you think about what you just saw is is wrong. You know, we... You know that this coin can't vanish in midair. Well, you're wrong about that because it just did. And um, when you get someone to fool themselves, that's the real trick of, of great magic because that is way more deceptive than if someone else fools you. Because if someone else fools you, then it's on them. But if, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if I say that you fooled yourself, that means that I have exhausted all possible explanations of me doing something and, you know, you are convinced that you just saw something that you didn't think you could see or, or whatever. So, yeah. but that's, that's a long way of, of, of saying, I think a lot of magicians do are excellent liars and 
do let that escape into their world. Um, there are there are other really important parts of my job that absolutely have leaked into my personal life. Me too. I mean, um, I- the way that I consume media mm-hmm. is ruined because of mm-hmm. being a performer. And you might feel the same way about listening to music. You probably are much more critical of music than your non-musician friends. I'm more, I would say of like the things that I'm, and I think because in, in the music world, my particular tastes have led me to like spoken word and text and storytelling. Yeah. I'm really judgmental of storytelling podcasts or anybody who's trying to tell some narrative story, even if there's music involved or not involved. Like that's where my judgment comes in. Music. I mean, I guess I don't like going to live concerts. Mm-hmm. I guess that's like, I, I, I just sit there could be because like, maybe this is where, like when I'm at a live concert, I look around, I'm like, I know how much that light costs to run. Yeah. I know I, yeah, how much I, it's that, the same th- exactly. I know how much that 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 the person who's showing people to their seats, I know how much she's getting paid. I know much how much the stage manager costs. Oh my God, it's not just a light, it's a moving light. That now goes to seven thousand dollars a piece to have those hanging above you as a rent. Like so now like mm-hmm. as I'm sitting at a like a like I go to see the national at Beacon Theater, I'm like yeah. Every time you those lights go boop boop boop, that's thirteen hundred dollars, right? <laughs> you know, and yeah, I'm like, I, oh, I do the same. You know? I I, I have often said to Allison, I would enjoy this concert more if I was sitting at front of house watching I, the board operator. I think where I, I'm not pushing back or 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 sort of asking you to 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 engage in this, but I would say the thing that has gave given me appreciation for the MMA community is actually listening to a ton of podcasts with fighters, both female and male, um, and couples who are fighters talking about this stuff. Because the, I, th- I think I did have the same sort of predilection of like, maybe this is the vibe of this community, right? Yeah. But I think it falls into, it starts to fall into confirmation bias a little bit. Like when you don't know about, if you if you grew up in a very democratic household mm-hmm. and you hear something about a Trump voter, and then you see a Trump voter and you're like, you know what, That's, that person really fits that. So then they're all that way. It's like, no, 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 sure. you've met one. Like, I think in the MMA community, I think if you sat in my head, I can think of 30 different fighters immediately, one or two of which have had domestic violence issues. Mm-hmm. The problem I have when these arguments come up is like, oh, it's MMA, it's Dana White, it's sla- everybody's slapping each other. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're only looking at the couple data points that make it out of the MMA media world. It is incumbent upon us to then look at the other 40 data points to make sure that we're then judging that community. It's like if I, if I met one magician who's a piece of shit, I am not, because I know you, you're my other data point. I'm not going to assume right. that all magicians are, you know, and I've taken a few, I've taken a few jujitsu classes and I, and I'm, I'm not a practitioner by any means, but I've taken three and oh my God, Mike, it is no different. The skill set is no different. The practice, the, the, me, the mentality is no different than me and you sitting in that, that little cabin at that band camp and you being like, here's this box trick I just bought. And you're like fucking it up three or four times. <laughs> That's the same as me as a white belt going into a jujitsu class and getting choked out three or four times. Sure. I have to be like, oh shit. Okay. This is how you do it. No one's in there to hurt you. It's just a, like, there's a methodology and I love the way that martial arts are honest about where you are in life. This is the other thing too that I loved. Like you walk Ex- in a room, explain every, that. I don't know that I wearing what you mean a, Everybody's wearing a different colored belt. Oh, okay. We're all in the same room, and I'm yeah. gonna be I'm gonna be grappling with somebody a black belt 
But that black belt sees my white belt and knows that he can't roll me up into a ball and break my back. It's not going to do him any good. It's not going to do me any good. So what he's going to do is he's going to roll with me. And then when he rolls with the blue belt, he's going to roll a little differently. When he rolls with his colleagues in the black belt, uh, but there's this constant intermingling. And so when I see fighting happening at the UFC level, I'm looking at those fighters, two guys in a ring or two women in a ring and being like, I know she's a brown belt. I know she's a, she's a black belt in jujitsu, but she's a black belt in taekwondo, this other girl. So how is that going to match up? How do those skill sets match up now? Sure, somebody might have blood all over their face by the end and make Mike uncomfortable sitting at his dinner table. But you know what? There are a lot of people who watched the Buffalo Bills the other night and saw a heart attack on the field. It's for real. Yeah, for like eight minutes, example. they like, saw him doing CPR. And so, you know, I was talking about how much I like these hits and stuff. And um, mm-hmm. we were watching Yellowstone when that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and Allie's mom texted us and said, turn on the Bills game. And at that point, I already knew I had just read what was going on on Twitter. Like, cause that's, I do like three things at once. So I'm, I'm watching the Yellowstone. I'm looking at Twitter and I had told Ali, I was like, some guy just like collapsed and, and, and they're doing CPR on him. And, and she's like, do you want to turn it on? And I was like, no, I don't want to watch someone die on yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to watch um, somebody potentially. It's like, you know, and, I mean, the, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So, well, I was just going to say as much as I said earlier, like, you know, I like hockey fights and I like these hits. There's a moment that it becomes real. And then it becomes past what the sport is that I am not interested in the the smut of like gore porn or whatever it is. It would be considered like where you're gawking at a train wreck, you know. Um, I understand the human condition of wanting to see that stuff. I totally get that. And I think that's a large part of why the fighting sports are so popular is because there is something innate in us that loves that that loves fighting that loves conflict and that loves uh watching people beat each other up i think that that you know that's what basically world star that's why world star became yeah, but famous. i would i, I would like i love having conversations with you because i can push back against you and i know that you're you're my buddy like we're still yeah. in that cabin and at that band camp whitehall band camp Whitehall mm-hmm. for life um i think it is possibly harmful sorry it's it's treacherous to sort of compare again like the motivations for why people watch stuff it's like why would somebody come watch a magic show because you yeah there are a million reasons there's shots like i love the schadenfreude of watching somebody get their watch stolen off their wrist like that that's shitty that's that's terrible that i want to see that well but and and along this i i think i I mean i see where you're going with this and i gotta say i personally do not enjoy hypnotist hypnosis shows Mm -hmm. hypnotists because of that Mm-hmm. I it feels transgressive to a point that makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. There's a there's yeah. a it's walking. I know that what they're doing is ethical, but it is a blurred line when it comes to consent. When you talk about hypnosis, you got people up there doing very embarrassing things, and that's why it's funny. Because even though they may technically know what they're doing. The audience thinks that they don't. And so the audience thinks they are watching someone do something without their consent. And it makes me very uncomfortable. I totally um, understand that. I mean, there's to me, I think um, a better comparison between MMA and other Internet sort of phenomenon would not be World Star. It would be what's called King of the Streets. And I'm sure you don't know what this is, but it's a no. it's a fight. It's a fight promotion that's, I think, come out of Russia um, where they fight in hockey rinks. They fight in parking garages. They put up a ring, but it's no rules. 
it's kind of like going back to the original UFC vibe. Like we're mm-hmm. going to put you in this ring. The only thing that's sanctioned is the square footage that you can fight in. And then if you're about to kill somebody, we'll jump in and stop it. But past that, no. So I will say in to feeding the sort of instinct that I have to watch a car wreck, I was like, well, let me see what one of these is like. As someone who has followed the UFC now for six, seven, eight years, it was horrifying, Mike. I don't actually enjoy watching pe- what I think I realized, like, I don't enjoy watching people get bloodied up. What I enjoy is watching people work within a rule system tactfully. That's what the NBA does. For lack of, I mean, not that the NFL is perfect, but there's a rule system in place. You cannot run at somebody with your head as your leading, you know, mm-hmm. uh, instrument of your weapon of choice, right? We have developed these rules. And so to watch teams function within that rule system, and in football, it's gotten all the way down to like how much pressure is in the football. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we're, we're arguing yeah. about that. UFC is not any, they're 100 years behind that particular set of rule systems, but to see fighters now sort of navigate within the sort of, and I know what the rules are, and when you can see a fighter approach that line and you're just like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? How are they going to get around this? To me, that's the interesting, that's the interesting you, thing. This is all really interesting, but it's, I, I feel like we've gotten really far. We have. From We're now arguing about this <laughs> MMA versus. And know. it's fine. It's It's fine. And I. I'm never going to fault someone for enjoying those sports. I know how popular they are. Mm-hmm. It's a personal thing with me that I don't enjoy them. Um, let me let me ask this then of you, because what in your, I think as it pertains to your first point with Dana White, and mm-hmm. to me, the thing that has been f- confusing, frustrating, is that if it was LeBron James, I'm sorry, he'd be out of the NFL or the NBA. Yeah, you're right. No, he no questions asked. If he was on a video slapping his wife in Cabo, well, there was the guy. There was know, the guy like, a couple years ago in an elevator with the ele- then the footage came out. Was that football or basketball player? I don't remember. I'm there was sure, a, a professional remember. sport sporting sports player guy mm-hmm. who um, whose wife said that she beat him up. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he man. I really shouldn't be talking about this without without knowing I the facts. But know. I, I do know. I do remember watching the video. Um, it was everywhere and he was beating the crap out of her in an elevator. And I feel like maybe he even like dragged her by her hair or something. There was, it was, I think I know what you're talking about. And I, again, I'm not going to comment it cause I don't, I, I don't know all the circumstances, yeah. but, but to me, I think in the era, if we step back from the idea that like, like, I think I personally don't believe that public apologies actually placate much. I mean, I think there's a few people who are like, I feel better. But I think by and large, most folks, it's a compliance thing. Like, they just want to feel like somebody bowed to their demand, right? Sure. But but I think that's also in the context of how popular a sport is, how much money a sport generates. I think oh, seeing sure. the, re- the recent Dana White stuff, it's like, oh, my God. I, I think I, be, as someone who's followed the UFC for a second, they're on ESPN. So I just assume there would be this massive backlash on ESPN. It's like... Maybe the maybe the UFC isn't big enough that people care. You had no idea when I texted you, but this is like no, I this, didn't is know who as, this is. Yeah, this is as if LeBron James had slapped his wife to me. Sure, because I I I know of Dana White. He's in the he's in the social media world. I follow because I follow fighters. Like so, mm-hmm. to me, I was just like, oh my god! If it only matters if you're making money when you do something shitty, then what is the actual like? What's the litmus test for an apology? So there was a very you know, prominent husband and wife magician team. Mm-hmm. And about 
15 years ago. Oh, they, and they were like within magicians. Everyone knew who this couple was. Mm-hmm. And 15 years ago, like one of them shot the other one. They're both alive. Oh my God. Um, I, I want to say she shot him in the abdomen with an arrow, with like a bow and arrow. Can I just say that no one in the MMA community has shot anybody with an arrow? <laughs> and, <laughs> that I know of. <laughs> and no one knows about this. Yeah. Because it's, it's, the, it's, ma- it's magicians. Mm-hmm. Um, these are people who have been on TV, national TV, multiple times mm-hmm. throughout their career. Mm-hmm. They both still have careers. Separate careers now, but they both still have careers. Um, by the way, we were talking about Ray Rice in the NFL um, uh, in the elevator. Mm-hmm. And this article that I just found, uh, it says that it it did end his NFL career in an instant. This this um, thing. Um, right. NFL, very public. He was uh, on the Ravens, uh, I believe. And, uh, you know, that type of thing you just you can't do. Uh, because mm-hmm. there is so there's so many more eyes. If uh, someone on the U.S. women's soccer team did that, probably not as many people are going to care, right? Um, I mean, or the or the WNBA. What's, what's crazy to me about all of it is the sort of like uneven nature by which, like, I think it just shows that society itself isn't really equipped to handle this stuff with a sort of uh, unified approach. You know, like we, you know, we, we, because not, not everybody's involved in it. Like, like I'm just sitting here being like, I cannot believe that Dana White got away with this. Like, I agree with you that it is a personal issue with him and his wife, but you do not, I'm married to someone who has been in abusive relationships of various, I mean, there's a spectrum there. So it's not like, you know, but you don't do that. I don't give a fuck who you are. Um, and you don't get to do that in public, especially as a man. I think if now, wait, stop, stop. What? I don't agree with the, especially as a man. I don't think you get to hit someone who is bigger than, or I don't, I I, I think as a, I will say for me as a man, like I have the physical capability to pummel most people around me on a daily basis. And so if, if, if a woman strikes me, I think I have an obligation to sit for two seconds and realize the consequences of me doing the other way yeah, around. But I feel the That's same way as if, a, if like, I just don't believe in any of that at all. Like any sort of abuse when it comes to hitting. No, you don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm I just want to make sure you. you're not saying there's, you know, it, that it's different if a guy hits a girl than it is. If a girl hits a guy, I don't think it's different physically. Maybe there's a difference in what the outcome will be in terms of injury. I don't or think there's something maybe. like that. I think there's absolutely a difference that would come from, I think if Stephanie hauled off and slapped me and then I just was like, all right, my turn. I hauled off and slapped her. I think the consequences are way different. Potentially. The consequences might be different, but I don't think the action is different. I don't think anyone, I don't think either one of those is more wrong than the other. I think well, they're both I, wrong. I, well, I, I don't, I, I understand what you're saying. I don't completely disagree. I don't, I'm not an advocate of violence at all. I okay, don't think so anybody should be hitting way. anybody, but I think if, when the shit hits the fan, you as a human being, like, you know, you haven't, you have an obligation when, if someone, you can't just do eye for an eye. I'm sorry. Like that, no. that, that's a, like, we have to figure out a more evolved way to deal with this. So if I mean, more there's, evolved. there's the, there's the example, I think it's Jay-Z that gets like, 
pummeled in an elevator by Beyonce's sister or something. (laughs) And he takes it. And I'm sitting there thinking to me like, man, I totally get it. Someone's physically assaulting you in an elevator, but you can't do anything. Yeah. Not, not that you can't. It's just that like, you don't, it's not a fair fight. And this is, this I think goes back to MMA a little bit where like, there are clear, like that MMA has been sanctioned in such a way and the way the the weight classes like there are not men and women fighting each other and for good reason and you can have all the arguments about trans fighters and men and mm-hmm. women have equal whatever there's goddamn good reason Floyd Mayweather is not in a ring with some woman equal his size I'm so sorry let me you know, let like, me pose this to you though let me pose so this in to real you. life I think we do have to sort of think about like there's a reason that when I get slapped by Stephanie I'm gonna go boop. But when I just even give the same force back, like there's physics and I, I just I have a hard time with the sort I, of Well, I first want to say I hope Stephanie's not slapping you. No <laughs> definitely not, definitely not. Uh second probably should, but you know. What's Dana White's uh wife's name? I don't actually know. Okay, so what if she was the head of the MM uh UFC? Mm-hmm. And he was just we just knew him as her husband. Mm-hmm. And we saw that same video come out. And it stopped after her. She hit him first. So she slapped him. And that's all we saw. The public would get that. And they would say, oh, he must have said something stupid to her to deserve that. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have been seen as domestic violence by the public. Hmm. But in my opinion, that's just just as wrong. Just equally as wrong. No matter, not taking into account how much, because he didn't punch her. He slapped her the same way she slapped him. And then, um, kicked, and then now, kicked her. He's a bigger dude, so she, he made her move. I mean, you know, he, he physically moved her head when he hit it. But uh, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I, I think that we have these different standards for men and women when it comes to fighting um, in, like, domestic abuse. And I don't think that those are necessarily only tied to the physical outcome. I think it has a lot more to do with gender roles and how people see what a, a woman is allowed to do to her man versus how what a man's allowed to do to his woman. You know, I, I think that that's like mm-hmm. the way that that the public historically looks at, at these types of fights. And uh, no one would have had a trouble had trouble if the video came out with just her hitting him. I don't. Well, I. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we don't we don't have that. Video. Even if she was the person that had all this power. Now, that's another thing. Now that I know from you mm-hmm. that this guy does not have a history being a fighter, and his only exposure to it is sort of living in the world around fighters and people. He's a big dealing dude. Fighters, he trains. Don't get me wrong. Huge. Like he yeah, looks he's not, like he could have been. He looks a fighter. like a fighter, but I think if you talk to fighters, they're all like Dana hasn't fight a day, fought his day in his life. You know, like yeah. Uh, I think that there's also an aspect here that has to do with power mm-hmm. and you see it in so many places you see it in churches and in businesses and everywhere where the person with the most power abuses the hell out of that power because and, and that's another thing just like the job that i think can leak from the job to the personal life mm. where if you all day long every day of the week are ordering people to do what you want and if they don't do what you want, there are going to be consequences. I think there's some of that that leaks into your personal life. And, you, and it's difficult to have a, a relationship in which you don't view others as subordinates of you. I don't, I don't completely disagree with that. Um, 
only because like I as someone who runs a business with three other guys and we have employees and we're trying to figure out how to do that, like there are traps you can fall into where, um, you know, when you have two or three people who are answering to you, yeah, you know, you get used to that. But I think an evolved mature human being over time as a 43 year old man, I have worked really hard to sort of be able to compartmentalize those two versions of me so that when I come home, I'm not just ordering Stephanie around like my interns, you know, or something or, or my executive director or operations director. Like there's, there are levels to the game. And like, and I think with Dana, the other thing that I think is, again, is troubling with, with how this whole thing is played out. And I think for me, and I'm not, def- I don't even, I feel like the minute you say you're like, no, I'm not being racist, but you know, like yeah. I'm not defending Dana here, but like the, the unique difference here that I haven't seen in like Trump's case or Biden's case, even though Biden came out the next day and sort of said like, it was, it was my Corvette and it was a locked garage. Like there's all yeah, those. He didn't come out and say, listen, I'm sorry. He said, we turned, we did what we were supposed to do. Right. Right. And, I think having gone through the last four or five years of people just waffling on all this stuff and not actually saying anything outright. And then there's like, I, we were texting about the Steve Reich stuff that happened over the summer post George Floyd, like, like yeah. the, the sort of demand for an apology. And it's like, I can see a nuance there where maybe it can be different, but like Dana white, literally the next, like the next day came out and said, I fucked up. Do not defend yeah. me. If I hear you defending me, I won't agree with you. Like my my plight now is to carry this as a human being that I'm that guy. Now, I don't know if that's the appropriate punishment, but no one ever says that. Bill Cosby never said that. Like like yeah. Bill Clinton never and, said that. No one yeah. ever. Trump and never think said about that. that. Like, like okay, that's a crazy thing for someone to say in 2023. Like you know, uh, like Bill Co- like the Cosby Show is still on TV. Like Cosby show reruns are still on and I'm conflicted about watching them because there's certainly like the nostalgic value and it was, it was great television, mm-hmm. but the same thing goes for uh what's his name? Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Brown. His music is still being listened to by millions of people. He never came out and owned up to being, you know, a, a, a violent against his girlfriend. Like, you know, I, people still play I Believe I Can Fly. Michael Jackson. Uh, by, I mean, like, by R. Kelly. Mike, well, okay, so Michael Jackson, I'm going to take a little bit of a different stance on because I don't have, I don't, these are, I, I, let's just keep it to people who we have definite proof that they <laughs> were, because I, I still well, am not 100% convinced that Michael Jackson is a, was a pedophile. I, well, let me I, let me let me ask you this because I think this is the thing that I've been trying to ask myself for the last couple of years, and I think the Steve Reich thing was was one that really hit home for me in a way that I was like, I thought I was going to have a better answer after that, of like, oh, this is how you do it because I know I know this person. What does in your mind is is there a way to be publicly culpable for something? Yeah, that checks all the boxes. Like, what's what is the or, okay, is that not possible? And we should get used to as a society apologizing, and the, the apologizer just knowing that it's never going to serve everybody, and then that's the end of it. What that means, though, is that we as a society need to understand that apologies aren't going to serve everybody, and we need to be okay with that. Or, what I have been perceiving is this third option, which is 
we keep demanding apologies until we get tired and the next travesty happens. Yeah. I feel like that the third bucket is where we basically live in. That's where we are. That's you know, where we that, are. And that's not sustainable, at least to me. No. I'm, I'm going to hop off Let's, the train. That's why I was like, I'm not going to post about Dana White. Why? Yeah. Because I know in a week, something shitty else is going to happen. Well, that's, that this brings me to another point that I want to get to in a minute. But briefly, yeah. I think that apologies are a one-way thing hmm. from the transgressor. Hmm. And forgiveness is a one-way thing from the person who has been transgressed against. So when you apologize... You cannot expect anything. It's like giving a gift. We don't give gifts with the intention of receiving one back. Like it's something that you give from your heart. And then if that relationship is there, you know, it's on the onus is on them then. So like you cannot ever expect forgiveness for anything. Um, and we're also sort of treating the world that's, you know, the social media world as this monolith. There are going to be people that are never going to be satisfied. By this apology. Mm -hmm. But I think the way to get past it starts on on day one with that apology. And then day two is when the rage ends for some people and they're able to see clearly. And then for people who, you know, I think it would be amazing for him to volunteer at a battered woman's shelter. Now, would that be pandering and optics? Yes. But that's also going to this is PR that we're talking about, right? This, the the relationship between him and his wife has nothing to do with any of this. That's just those. You're, you're talking about Dana here, not not Steve yes. Reich. Yeah, yes. okay. Sorry, I'm talking about Dana. Dana. Yeah. Now, the the thing with Steve Reich was like, um, was it was it stuff that he had written a long time ago that was anti semitic? It was, anti -Semitic it was or a, what was, it was a uh, somebody a racist alleged that he said at a party in 1971. Okay that yeah. he had said something off color about the black community in New York. Um, and then what did he do as a result of that being made public? Uh, it was, I don't exactly remember the exact date, but there was, you know, one of the guys and so was in correspondence with him a lot. I think he ended up putting out a statement saying, you know, I don't remember saying this, but if I did, I'm sorry that it caused any sort of, so I, I'm paraphrasing here, so I'm not getting exact yeah, wording, see, but I, I think that it's a, it's an empty thing to like, to, but, to make that word without, acknowledging that if I did it's because back then I felt this way or I thought this way that's a huge part of this apology right like is yeah to but it's the, the the part of that to me I to me I'm questioning the premise of the apology like the foundation upon which the apology is being demanded is a an alleged quote from 1970 at a cocktail party it's not even like he was on a radio yeah. show saying this stuff like yeah, that's it's a different situation to than me, like, like Ralph like, Northam showing up with you know where there are photos of um, right or but or uh, Justin Trudeau you know think having photos of him in blackface like some of the conversations that I was really frustrated by and I, and I there's a there's a website called Drumming at Fifty um, Five Zero that so put out um, pretty much right after like the fall of George Floyd like the fall uh, following George Floyd George Floyd's murder like um and to me, the issue was we're gonna we're gonna demand an apology about something from some man who was saying something in the context of 1970 politics. Like he didn't, you do not have the knowledge of what comes in the next 50 years, and to then, as 50 years later, look at somebody and and not also address the politics of what it meant to be a Jew in New York in 1969, 1970, what it meant between those two minority communities in New York. 
fighting for during civil rights. Like there's a lot of nuance there to sort of dig down. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for what Steve said. If I was in the room with Steve in 1970, I'd be like, Hey bud, he's a nice guy. Why'd you say that? But in 1970, people also said the term blacks pretty regularly. Yeah. Like it wasn't, Again, like, I just feel like what my fear is, is that while we're all living in this haze of righteous, you know, indignation about the way people in the past are living, it's like, all right, let's fast forward to 2073, where they're looking at this podcast with Josh Quillen and Mike Kent. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now Josh Quillen at 85 has to go on some large social media mea culpa tour because yeah, like what if, of the so way we were talking. Like, you're wearing a white ball cap. And what if, you know, in, in 30 years, it, to wear a white ball cap means that you are a neo-Nazi? What I'm wearing is a, is a Cleveland ball cap, a Cleveland Indians ball cap, purposely yeah. wearing the C because I don't agree with the Chief Wahoo thing. But I grew up on the Cleveland Indians. So, like, there's a part yeah. of me as a child that I'm like, I want to I wanna be where – I want to support my local thing – but also, yeah. I don't want to support that local thing, so I'm going to support sure. this thing. But then somebody else can see this thing as still that other thing. But talking about you that know, nuance, like, like if there's a photo of you wearing a T-shirt when you were 10 of Chief Wahoo, like mm-hmm. you're not going to get canceled for that because people understand the context with within but, which but, that was worn. I don't know. I mean, I, I think, think this, I think yeah, the Steve I mean, thing was the the Steve thing for me was where I was very skeptical of people's ability to apply context. It's like this yeah, is a man's maybe, music who I played for. If, 17 years of my life, and he's been in concerts. People have stood up for him, standing obey. He comes to master classes, and all of a sudden, a quote of like eight words from 1970 comes out, and he's a pariah. Sure. And it's like, man, if that can happen to Steve, it can happen to me. It can happen to you, Mike. And I, and this is where I think the sort of scarlet letter nature of this whole like cancel culture, and it's been really mm-hmm. frustrating for the last four or five years to have people be like, cancel culture doesn't exist. You're just afraid. It's like, yes. I'm afraid because cancel culture exists like this idea that this is one of those things that you and I, you know, argue about a Mm. lot um, because I can't really think of anyone who, I mean, what's an example of someone who's legitimately lost all of their income and you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't say all, but I would say Steve, I would say, (laughs) you know, and again, like, but, but again, like this is the, like, it's not just ageism. It's, it's wealthism. It's like people look at Steve and they're like, oh, well, he's got a career, so fuck him. Why does anybody care? It's like, what? wait a minute. That's how we're going to look at people? Like, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. That's just a really reductive, terrible way to view people. Like, I'm only yeah, going to work I, with somebody I think if that they... there, we have to be careful about the evidence that we're using when mm-hmm. we start talking about I, – like, I hate the word cancel. I, I just think it's mm-hmm. stupid because, like, what are you canceling? Like, no, nothing's actually being canceled. Um, if you're losing work – then there's a reason for that. If, you know, that reason is one thing that supposedly you said, that's not right. I mean, you know, there. I think we need to be very careful and look at things in context. Hmm. And, you know, no one canceled Bill Cosby because of, like, one thing that someone said. It was once, you know, for, first of all, um, oh, God, what's his name that started it with the, his comedy... Uh, uh, Hannibal Burris. Yeah, Hannibal Burris. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was a known thing in the comedy community, but he happened to say it on stage, and the video went viral, mm-hmm. and that's what really launched this. To all these women felt comfortable speaking out it was because once they heard it happen to someone else, right? And then once it becomes multiple and multiple and multiple, right? No one is gonna 
find that Ralph Northam blackface picture if he's not a celebrity politician who's making policies that hurt people. Um, same thing with Justin Trudeau. Mm-hmm. You know, they're making enemies who are looking for stuff to hurt them with, right? So, like, yeah. when you're in that position, I don't know what you do. Like, you know, that's you. You always hear people say, "I've got too many skeletons in my closet to go into politics." That's been a thing for decades. That's not a new thing. Can I? I'm going to try to pull something up here if I can do it. Um, sure. I want to show you a picture that I've been very hesitant to show pretty much anyone, um, but it's. And I have not posted online. Sorry, it's going to take me a second to find it. But it's well. It's, while you're it's, looking for that, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh yeah, no, uh, I think I found one good one here. Let me see. Yeah, there we go. This is great. This is going to be great, Mike. I'm going to share this, and I'm going to get canceled immediately. Um, okay, so this is me at my friend Jerrion and Karnika's wedding um, with my wife Stephanie, who you know well. Yes, and you're wearing Trinidadian. Now, I- no, I, what Close? this is, that's an African pattern. Um, okay. Before we went down, I told a friend of mine, Ashley George, um, I said, I said, uh, Ashley, like, I'm, I'm going down here, going down to Trinidad. I don't want to look out of place. Like, I'm going to wear the blue chambray with the, with the vest and the, and the, you know, and the Wolverine boots. Like, what do I need to do to not look like an idiot in Trinidad? And so she's like, sit tight. She's a designer. And she made this shirt. I, told, I sent her a picture of what my wife was wearing. And she made this shirt. Now, I wear it, wore it at the wedding. I played at the wedding and then blew the armpits out and got super embarrassed and went back to the hotel room <laughs> and changed and changed into my blue chambray shirt. I came back down to the wedding. The amount of shit I got from my Trini friends for changing out of that shirt was bonkers. Yeah. And I again And your my, question is My question What if here people is, here saw a picture of you in that shirt with no context? If I post that online my worry, whether or not it's true, but this is my point. The chilling effect of the last three or four years is I can't post this thing that I'm super proud of because my best friend, Jerrion, got married to this beautiful woman. And I was in, like, me and Stephanie were the only two white people in this entire room, and it was amazing. My fear is that I don't have the time to answer to somebody why that's not racist. Yeah. And that's, to me, I think is the, like... I think that the crux of what, what what you were asking a little bit, like what is forgiveness? How do we as a society? It's because society can't forgive, or we. And I think I think actually in, in enough therapy that I've gone through is like human beings have a terrible inability to forgive themselves. You and I have texted about this. Like you have personal problems. Mm-hmm. There's things that you're personally dealing with, and you're blaming yourself, and you can't figure it out. And the fact that you can't figure it out is proof more that you're an idiot, and you shouldn't fucking be doing what you're doing. Like. It's because Mike so, can't forgive himself in the same way that Josh can't. And so, like, I'm wondering, like, if Josh can't forgive himself, why should Josh expect that society could forgive Josh? Like, we don't have that in us. That's as shame. A, as a that's fundamental not forgiveness. Yeah, that's that's yeah, not guilt yeah. or anything. That's so. I just had this thought. Mm-hmm. If I saw that photo of you posted on your Facebook, mm-hmm. and the caption that went with the photo is very self-aware, saying. I was scared shitless to share this photo because I would hate for people to think that this is me demonstrating cultural appropriation or insensitivity. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is there's a lot of um, heart and feeling and story behind what I'm wearing in this photo. I think if that was the first exposure of someone to that, there would never be a problem. 
I don't think anyone could take that and run with it in a negative way. Because if they did, the first thing that anyone would point back to is the source, which is you saying, I know what this looks like, but it's not what you think. Um, and I think most of the instances of stuff happening are the sort of not that, you know, like yeah, I, I really, this is Dana White saying, I hate what happened. This is on me to fix. Nobody defend this. It's that same thing. I think the way that you come out initially in the very beginning and say, uh, you know, like for instance, like I have this photo of me in a serape and like a Mexican serape. And there's one somewhere where the serape and a sombrero at a, at a Halloween party. Mm-hmm. And I think this was old enough that it was like before anyone ever talked about cultural appropriation. And it's something that I would never, it's the same thing. Like I would never put a photo, this photo out on the internet mm-hmm. without the context of saying, you know, but in my case, it was cultural appropriation. It was making a costume out of someone's culture. Um, and this is a different conversation maybe, but uh, it was just similar to the the Steve Reich thing where it's like it was before it was at a different time, even though it wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. It was before people really talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we knew as white people that this type of behavior could be hurtful. I would have never told you. I would never have any idea that that would be but, hurtful. But all, yeah, that's what I think. I think that's the thing. Like, it's the idea that like you knew it was going to be hurtful and you did it anyway. It's like no, actually, the context of the time was that it. No one, like the assumption that I would get up in the morning and be like, "All right, what hurtful fucking thing can I do today?" Like, yeah. like that's not the way most people work. I think most people do things uh, to get a laugh to get societal sort of approval to Mm -hmm. just fit in like you see everybody else doing it so you're gonna do and again like i'm not i'm not abdicating anybody of their responsibility what i'm what i'm trying to do here is a there needs to be responsibility on society in the way that we judge things i'll bet there was a time in in human history where when people were murdered we just were like i don't know you killed somebody so i guess we're gonna cut your head off well yeah yeah but i was drunk isn't that different than the guy who wakes up and is like i'm gonna kill someone today yeah Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now now we have first, second, third degree murder, and we have right. manslaughter, which is a different sort of category of murder, and then we have involuntary manslaughter and the vehicular homicide. Like we have all these different things now that are able to diagnose and treat the symptoms of our cancer. Yeah, and that's societies. evolution. And that's that's, that's like evolution. human evolution and and, and kindness but and understanding. And what I'm shocked by though is, you know, I read the Scarlet Letter when I was a junior in high school. Nothing's yeah. changed since right. 1997. And well, since that book was written, you know, I'll bet before that, you know, I'm like, I'm still junior high Josh being like, are we really still the Scarlet Letter people? No, we are. Like, we like are. And I would Lord. say like, we've always been, it's not any worse than it ever has been. It's just kind of moves around to different topics. But that's the problem. Um, Shouldn't it not be just not any worse than it ever was before? Shouldn't it get, be getting better? It should. <laughs> but there's always stigma and there's always, yeah. you know, like, you know, this is a conversation that's happening in the world of sex workers, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most highly stigmatized careers in the world, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and will always be that way. Mm-hmm. So, like, we, back to the, the cultural appropriation thing. In the, like, 18th century and early 19th century, it was very popular. There there were very popular magicians who made their living pretending to be Asian men. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where 
the audience did not know that they were just white guys who were painting their face, squinting their eyes. A lot of early Native American like westerns and shit, like same deal. Yeah, like, those a lot of those were like you know um, some of those were white guys, mm-hmm. um, but some of those were Native Americans horribly abused by the film industry. Like, yeah, you know, like there's not a lot paid of that. or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. But like, um, and there's there's a uh, there's a buddy of mine who's um, who does a um, a magic and science course where he's talking about right now uh, what's cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation. Hmm. Um, but I think once you start where like the difference between a cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation is me wearing that Serape and you wearing that colorful African style shirt. Yours was always a place of appreciation from before when it started. Mine came from a place of ignorance, which is where I think most of these faults happen. There's also, yeah, sorry, yes, I'm agreeing with you. But then there's also the third category, which I think we need to be better at. Malice. Yeah, there's first degree malice here. Yeah. And you having first degree ignorance is a different level. I wouldn't say that's malice. I would say that's true ignorance. And that, I think, is absolutely immediately forgivable as long as the next step is teachable. And you are yeah. someone who is teachable. And then you're like, oh, okay. Like there's yeah. things there's things that, you know, I've I have learned not to Anya, Anya, stay out, sweetie. Sorry, my dog's trying to get in. I have learned not to say that when a black man or woman says something in a public space to say, Wow, that was really articulate. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, you don't say that because there are a person saying things and that was the thing. It's like, well, we didn't think black people were I- articulate for hundreds of years. It's like Actually, that's not true at all. Like, there's there's ways to sort of uh, adjust the way that you operate as you move through time. But I learned that out of ignorance, being around yeah. enough folks of a different color and a different culture to be like, oh, <laughs> that's not what you do. You know? Yeah, and I learn stuff like that all the time um, that, that is more borderline. Um, like, that one is very – that's become publicized enough now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that – it's enough like, of the zeitgeist that folks know. Yeah, like, but there are there are things, there are lots of words and phrases in the English language with racist roots that everyone uses regularly, and I'm constantly questioning whether or not we should be having this discussion about stopping using it. Words like, like you know, grandfathered, um, cakewalk, um, you know, they, these all these are all words. There, there's a there's, I've heard so many of them, and I always hear new ones. That that uh, are in our regular lexicon that, that no one uses in a racist way anymore, mm-hmm. but that because they had racist intent in the beginning, or because they had racist roots, you know the etymology of that word, mm-hmm. um, it might bring up hurtful feelings for for people. And how much should that weigh into whether or not we use these words? Um, that's about race. When it comes to gender, this is where it really affects me and my job all the time because it is no longer okay for me to use the phrase ladies and gentlemen Hmm. Um, that one has gotten uh, to use your word into the zeitgeist enough to where it is seen as non-inclusive language so what do you say do you say folks do you say folks is great Um, sometimes if I do say ladies and gentlemen I say ladies and gentlemen and friends 
like I'll try to fix it in the middle of the sentence. It's never good. Uh, you know, it never sounds natural. Um, the, so I'll, my favorite thing to say is just friends. I was going to say, uh, I'll just call the audience friends. Um, up, folks buddies? is always <laughs> great. Y'all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just call everybody Bubba, and that's that's <laughs> that gets me through. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, but but these types of things, you know, and and like I was I was recently I did a, a run at a theater in Chicago that did not want you to use any gendered language at all. Meaning, excuse me, meaning that when I have someone on stage who very obviously presents as a male, to not use hmm. male pronouns. Hmm. Um. To just, you know, to, to refer to them by their name or, or use they, them or whatever it might be, just because they're wanting to be a very, you know, inclusive and, and diverse theater. Uh, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to. Well, can, I, can I ask you, like, on that, on, on that front, like, there's, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, working on a, a, a theater project with this playwright. Um, it's just the two of us deals with some pretty intense material um Mm -hmm. and there have been moments where folk where halls have been like we need to have a trigger warning or we need to have a certain thing that says what people are going to see and i always react to it because i'm i think we also have this feeling that everybody is going to be damaged the same way so like let's like we assume that if you say this one word there's going to be a fire and everybody's going to get third degree burns we're going to go to the hospital I'm not saying it's awesome for one person to get third degree burns, but if one person's offended out of 400 and the other, and there's 30 who got a little bit of a sunburn because what they heard was something they weren't used to hearing, maybe it doesn't change their mind, but it allows them to sort of digest other material in a slightly healthier way moving forward and not have that same, it's like the anxiety reaction I have when I'm, my finger twitches. It's like, I think I immediately have ALS. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not, my brain is not functioning at a higher level. It's a fear reaction. And I would love for concert halls and venues and in places like, like where you're going to, to, to just trust that Mike Kent, to me, it just feels like I'm going to put up this 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 boundary that you have to jump over. Otherwise, you're not successful. Otherwise, you're going to have to backtrack or apologize. And I don't ever want anybody to be uncomfortable around me at all. But I give people a lot of leeway when they're in my space to be themselves. Yeah. And what I ask for is that exact same amount of leeway back. Like, like I'll give you 50% leeway, you give me 50% leeway, and we'll keep negotiating that over the course of our life. That's what you and I have done since I met you in 1998. And now our life, our negotiations are different for various reasons. But, like, I just feel like that giving that space is something that, especially in the social media age, has really withered away. And I, I just worry. Like, yeah. I wor- like you and I met pre-social media. Sure. Like, the only time that you and I could learn about each other was when we were face to fucking face playing paradiddles and learning yeah. Ohio, you know, script Ohio and shit, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the best way to get to know people, but I think like it, okay, so on stage, mm-hmm. the audience if the audience likes you, mm-hmm. these things that we're talking about are never a concern. Mm-hmm. With the audience. It might be a concern with one person 
who remembers to think about it later and then tell someone or, you know, it's not in, in the context of what's happening. If the, if, if the audience likes you, that means that they, um, intuited your intent. Mm -hmm. And that's where all of this starts is intent. Mm -hmm. And it's same with, you know, um, these apologies we're talking about. People know if you, if you mean it, you can, you can read a bullshit apology and know that it's bullshit and that it's forced and that their management made them write it versus something that's heartfelt. People are smarter than we give them credit for a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, this is not including all the people in my mentions on Twitter today because those people are not smart. <laughs> well, but I think people are. This is, I mean, but again, like if we're gonna get, if we're gonna give the general public the benefit of the doubt here, then we need to give the transgressor the benefit of the doubt here too, as well. Like they're they're smarter yeah. than we think too. Well, and yeah, and a lot of it has to do with like what the transgression is, and we need to have a little bit more um, information before we go nuts. I th the problem I wish, is the the quickness of yeah. of the outrage machine and how fast. I wish everything in is. this in the same way that the left and I and I think I agree with this is fighting for like um, you know background checks and it should not be easy to get a gun. Right. You should not be able to get super frustrated and go get a gun. You know what else I don't think you should be able to do? Get super frustrated and bring down someone's career. Yeah, I think uh, there should be. I think there should be like a five day waiting period, yeah. where you have to garner enough evidence. You have to. You don't get to just scream and yell from the mountaintop and have massive institutions pay attention to you. I don't, I'm sorry. Like there, there, there's a there's a there's a way you have to earn your way to the to the point where the New York Times is going to listen to you, or where Princeton or NYU or the magician's guild of Columbus is going to listen. You don't get just get to get on Twitter and be like, Mike Kent's a piece of shit. He should never work again. And then have the magician's guild be like, you know what? We're afraid of you. So yeah. we're going to say yes. And that's you the know? problem, right? Cause like, okay. So one person with 20 Twitter followers tweets mm -hmm. something about some guy's career. It's not going to have an impact. One person with 20 million Twitter followers tweets about it. It's absolutely going to have an impact. However, that one guy with 20 Twitter followers, if one of those Twitter followers is that guy with 20 million and he retweets it? Mm -hmm. Or if 300 people with 20 Twitter, Twitter followers all tweet it within five minutes and the company sees that, then they're going to say, oh, shit. We need to look at this employee who said this thing on Facebook because it's starting to go viral. And uh, it doesn't matter at that point how qualified these accusers are at all is the optics of the situation much more than the truth of the situation. Um, and if th what they have to go back to is that post on your Facebook that says, I would hate to be called, you know, culturally inappropriate or whatever it might be hmm. like, then that problem doesn't become, doesn't snowball. Doesn't there's a, there's a really great, I don't, I wish I knew what it was, but there's a really great TikTok account of a lady who works in public relations and she's constantly doing videos about how people hand us, handle their crisis PR mm. um, and saying like, here's why this statement from the CEO about their company's behavior isn't going to work mm. because he doesn't own up, you know, or, or here's mm. a great example of how someone owned up for their company's mistakes, you know, a mm. um, couple things, by the way, uh, I deleted Twitter from my phone today <laughs> because man, I feel man. I feel manipulated by it. Did you delete your um, Southwest app yet? I did delete the app, 
but I have the account because I still have points in there that I need to use. Um, but I figured out my game life. plan. So that's the other thing I was going to bring up with Southwest in a minute. But um, <laughs> I, so I, I used to use all my Southwest points for the last 20 years. I've used them on stuff. So my all the nicest stuff in my house was bought with airline points. My TV, my com- all, like my last three computers were all bought. Um, and then at a certain point, the Southwest app stopped letting you use points for Apple products. And so at that point, they still had Best Buy gift cards. And so I had to buy my Apple products at Best Buy. And now I figured it out they still have Staples gift cards. And I, I want a new iPad. No, like a, do not buy your iPad through Staples, Mike. I have 180,000 points, Mike. which is like $900 Mike. in Southwest. And what am I going to use them for? I'm not going to fly Southwest. Donate to it to for charity. Something. Donate it to a battered women's shelter, Mike. Okay. I didn't beat anyone. No, but Dana White did. <laughs> uh, I, I so, just think, like, yeah, I know what you're saying. Sorry. No, Josh and I have been going back and forth over the last few weeks because Southwest uh, did me dirty and um, has been doing me dirty for for someone who I don't. There's not many places in my life where I really truly feel entitled, but this is one of them. I fly enough and have flown enough over the years that I need to be treated better than what Southwest airlines was treating me and, and Mike, so i made, can i just can i ask you who told you that many people but you know recent me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i so i to be fair uh my friend eric diddleman yelled this into my ear a couple years ago and then i was in san francisco in november and my friend salish was yelling at me about this but none of them were as persistent as you about this and and you were the most recent uh <laughs> i have strong it, feelings in the world mike and i you know there's a few things i'll go to i'll go to the mat for and, and i talked to you the most about it i think but and Del Delta um, was one of them so so yeah so that's my new journey uh but anyway the the whole reason this was brought up uh, was that i think for southwest's major error over the holidays where all of their fleet was grounded um, due to old computers, they have really been trying hard on the PR angle to make it up. I don't think they're winning PR-wise, but I think they're appeasing some of their fans that have stayed. They gave 25,000 tier-qualifying points mm-hmm. to people who got stranded. They they actually gifted me with A-list, and I wasn't even stranded anywhere after my whole debacle. Too little, too late, but they, you know, mm-hmm. so... I think that like that type of PR is reparative and past the fact. And as fast as media is today, you need to be on top of it day one saying this is not okay. I think it as it as it pertains to our conversation about like apologies and when they're required. I I will say I, you know, um I do have to go here in a second, but I would say like, I think I'd be curious knowing the book that you were, or it was the book or podcast you were talking about that, that talks about different apologies. Um, yeah, it's someone apologies. I follow on TikTok, And if I find it, I will definitely let Send you it know. to me. Um, but I, I would be curious for you to go and watch Dana's apologies because again, like I, I'm not defending him. What I'm saying is he's the only person I've seen apologize in the way that he's apologizing. And I'm curious to see how that sort of meshes with what this other person is talking about in the way that companies should do this stuff. Because maybe that's the reason this stuff has gone away. The fact yeah. that he came out so quickly. So, maybe that's why it's happening, you know? Like, I don't know. But uh, Who you're going to look for on on um, TikTok. 
You can search for the hashtag crisis PR, but mm-hmm. the, the creator's name is Molly B. McPherson. Okay. Um, and she, she does just fantastic videos breaking down crisis PR and different. Oh, she's got one on UFC's Dana White. Let's listen yeah. to what she, she has to say here. Hang on. To reflect? No, I don't need to reflect. To write the perfect response to any type of public shaming. You need to own it, and then you need to explain what happened, and then hopefully make some type of promise to change and not do it again. Maybe you've learned something. Did Dana White own up to that physical altercation that everyone saw in a leaked video of him slapping his wife on New Year's Eve? Yes, he owned it all so she, I think she's lauding him in this video, but, mm. um, and I, and I don't think I'm not, I don't think he's, I, I don't think anybody should be lauded for that. What I'm saying is he finally, well, he's doing the thing that everybody's asking. Not lauding for, you know, but lauding the reaction. Absolutely. Like, you know, the, 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 as apologies go, you know, she's saying he, he did a, a great job of it. I appreciate um, that. He did not deny it. I appreciate that. He yes. said he did it. He never once said he didn't hit his wife. He's like, it's right there. I absolutely hit her. Shouldn't have. Yeah. You never hit a woman. And I'm the guy that's going to have to live with this for the rest of my life. He's like, I'm a wife beater. And it's like, mm-hmm. now, now that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be. I mean, I don't even know. Like, I don't. I think if I hit Stephanie in public, that's assault. Like, there's there's legal ramifications that come from me smacking my wife in public. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying those shouldn't happen. But what I'm saying in the context of the social media environment in which I've seen the last three or four years demanding these apologies, he gave the quickest the most succinct, the most to the point one I've heard of anybody. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Like it's funny to I'm me. I'm trying how, to think, I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of like the angry person on Twitter, like the angry, I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of, of angry women on the UFC roster who are trying to figure out what to say, you know, like, yeah, like but, and, but I'm just trying to think like, how can you still be angry after hearing that apology? Well, that's, I think for me is a lot of, the sort of hot airness around all this is like you're demanding somebody wear a scarlet letter, but when you, when they do sew that scarlet letter on and they walk around town and they go to the market and you see them with that letter, you're going to still point at them and be like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, well then what the fuck is the point of the scarlet letter? Everybody knows. Why are you pointing it out again? You know? And like, I think the next time something, he does something, even if it's not beating his wife, the next time he does anything that makes the news in a negative way, now it's a pattern of behavior or like because you I remember what, the first thing. I guess my largest question, my larger question to you, and I don't know that we need to find an answer here, but is like, is there a point, like what is forgiven look like? Yeah. Like, what does it look like for Dana White or Michael Jackson or Bill Cosby or me or you or Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos? Like, mm-hmm. what does it look like for someone to have fucked up, own it publicly and then have the public be like, let's grab coffee. Yeah. And then give it's, you a chance a to question. fuck up again. You know, like Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. Elon Musk right now, like the self-driving Tesla thing is, is getting a lot of bad press. Yeah, it is. And there's a point at which he can come out and either defend it or he can be like, man, that's fucked up. I totally messed up. But like, let's let's figure this out. And there's a point at which is we as a society, we figured out automated ovens we figured out automated refrigerators we figured out automated everything else like why don't we give elon the benefit of the doubt here and be like he hasn't killed like thousands of people there's like been a eight car pile up 
and a couple people died. I'm not saying that that's nothing, but like, let's not call Elon Musk Adolf Hitler here. Like, like, no, he's not, I, I think his, this isn't a the, Holocaust he's perpetrating. Like, but back to the whole thing about like a pattern of, a, a, you know, a pattern of behavior is like, okay, hmm. it's a clear lie. Right. They, they showed this video pre- pretending that the car was driving itself and it wasn't. Hmm. Uh, and there are other things that Elon has done in the recent history in the recent past that have pissed people off and so no matter whether or not you forgave him for that first thing like maybe you fully thought you forgave him well as soon as something came up you might learn that that forgiveness you offered maybe wasn't full or you you know you forgave him for part of this one thing but you had these other seven sort of dangling with a little asterisk like i forgive you unless you fuck up again this is something as someone who's lived with a pastor lived in churches where mm-hmm. the, the the fundamental tenant, I know you're an atheist, but like the fundamental ta- tenant of Lutheran, the specific Lutheran sect of religionism is forgiveness, grace. Sure. I'm sorry, you got it. You didn't have to do anything for it. You earned it just by being born. And I'm so I'm looking at all that being like, okay, do I see Trump that way? No. Does that, that's a reflection on me maybe. Less, I mean, Trump's going to be Trump. How do I change the way I see Trump? How do, how do I change yeah. the way I see Louis C.K. or sure. Elon Musk or Elizabeth Holmes or, you know, you name it. Right. Like, how do I, how do I, or is that my responsibility? Or is it, or there are some cases like Hitler where like, I'm sorry, well, you don't get, you don't get forgiven for anything. Like, I, I know we know. need to wrap up, but th- that really brings up something that was, was pretty important to my life. Um, I, I, for years belonged to a Buddhist Sangha here in town mm-hmm. and um, Shambhala is the, the name of it. And the leader of Shambhala was found to have done some really nasty stuff in terms of like uh, abusing mm-hmm. the roles of the parishioners that were around him. And, and a um, um, lot of stuff that went against the, against the tenets of, of the religion. And mm-hmm. uh, I do not have the capability yet to understand how I can forgive that, uh, forgive him, um, to the point where I have not went back. I've not gone back to Shambhala mm. since it came out. But you said yet, now, though. Yet, the, it's possible. That's important. Um, but that's important. I mean, that's a that's key. It's also like it. Ex- I think that behavior ex- it caused me to look at some other stuff as well. So it. There's a lot of there's a lot of different moving parts with this. Um, it's a religion in which, or I wouldn't even call it a religion, but it's a, a belief system that really was just him and his dad, uh, and both of them have been accused of some really heinous stuff. So I look at that and I'm like, is that something that I really want to follow, or am I able to take these things that they taught and still believe them in some other sangha and some other um, route of Buddhism? But um, I haven't been back and it, it it bothers me, you know, because I would love to get past that, you know, and you know what they did? They didn't take his picture off the wall. They just put a black silk over it, like a black cloth over it. So uh, that's, a, that's a solid choice. That's an, it's, it's an interesting choice, but it's one it that I... Th- There's a lot in that, right? It's like that's saying a lot. I mean, I used to do Bikram yoga a lot mm-hmm. and there was the whole thing about Bikram Chowd- Chowdhury and, and his whole abuse of yep. women and, and all that absolutely true um on the other hand bikram yoga is one of the things that when i do i i i don't feel any i feel better walking out of bikram yoga than i do almost anything else in my life including the concert stage including smoking weed or having a drink like there's 
so can two things be true simultaneously? And that to me is the thing that I'm disappointed in humanity is like, yeah, yes. Bikram Chowdhury could be a piece of shit. Your dude could be a piece of shit. But the way I treat people when I walk out of Bikram Yoga is way better than the way I treat people before I walk in Bikram Yoga. You there, Mike? Mike? Mikey? Mike, where'd you go, buddy? Yeah, sorry, dude. My no, I, was just, I was just saying, like, yes, it's true that Bikram Chowdhury did those things. But is it also true that when I walk out of Bikram Yoga, I treat people better than I did before I walked into Bikram Yoga? Sure. And is that some? Do uh, I just need to cut Bikram Yoga out of my life because this guy's a piece I, of shit? Like, you know, that, that's the thing. That, yeah. that's, it's the that's, same with Noah Levine was a, um, is a Dharma punks. Uh, he's another Buddhist teacher. That, the same thing, you know. I watched every video he made. I read every book he wrote. Um, I haven't gone back to watching his videos or reading those books since then. It's a similar, similar situation to like what I talked about the Cosby show. Is the Cosby show still funny? Is it still good television? Were there Was still, it still groundbreaking to portray a, a upper class black family on television? Yes. Are there still hundreds of people of minority uh, backgrounds that are receiving residuals from you watching that show? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and so like for you to cancel the Cosby show means not you did. Yes, sure. Cosby's not making any money, but you know who's not who else isn't? Like the other yeah. like seventy five black people who were working on that show, you sure. know, it's, and, a, it's a great point. And I, to me, I I understand all the arguments, but the problem with me isn't is that all the arguments aren't on the table, yeah. and they're not on the all on the table equally to be dealt with in a way that sees the bigger picture. And again, like I, I'm admitting admitting this in that like I personally have the hard time. Like I, you know, the last two weeks I've been in bed with depression because I can't forgive myself for, you know, whatever anxieties I have, you know. So the idea that for throwing I'm throwing up ex- on my phone in 1999, <laughs> yeah, with a bottle with a bag of Franzi <laughs> on my shoulder, like there's there there are things that I can't just expect society to innately be able to do because I can't do them, you know. But it doesn't yeah. mean that I don't have those. I, I we shouldn't have those expectations of each other. Um, and while I sure. expect, while I, while moving forward, it's like, to so go back to the Biden Trump thing, which is, I think maybe where we started. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised that Biden had secret materials in his, uh, in his office. What I'm bummed about is the level of vitriol that Biden and the administration threw at Trump when that happened. The minute it happened, when Biden happened, it was like, everybody's on, I'm, so I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't think Biden's a piece of shit. Can we? What if Biden had just come out and be like, "Yep, it was by my Corvette. Totally messed that up. My bad." This had been over. I don't know. I, it's you know, maybe, or it would it would be over in maybe, my head. But it's also, or like, or if he if, if he'd come out and been like, every, "You know what, Merrick Garland, investigate me. Bring it on. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's yeah, do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it." Let's Which do is it. what they did. Which is yeah. what you know. Like, right. We welcome the investigation. Come out and say that, and then that helps a ton. However, yeah. you know, you talked about putting everything out on the table. Mm-hmm. Everything needs to be out on the table. It's important to realize how different these two situations were 
And the problem is that there's no table. The right. table is the table is a palm that's constantly moving, which is the Twitter, you know, 200 characters that people are writing to whatever the hell it is. That's not a table. There's no room for us to have a table. There's no room to put out these facts that people are going to hear a soundbite from from Hannity or hear whatever and think that it's the exact same thing. However, it's being treated two different ways. It's not. It's two very different things with the same basis, right? Like, okay, there were documents that they shouldn't have. One's 20, one's 300. One was given as soon as they found it. The other was lied about and said they didn't have it. <laughs> One like, is currently the president. The other isn't the president. Like there's, yeah. there are levels. Yeah, the there's, game a, again. there's a lot of you different know. things. And, and there's no table to, no one has the patience, the time to hash these out. And a lot of people don't have the want to hash these out because of uh, tribalism. Uh, you know, well, and if I already hate you, this was the confirmation bias we talked about earlier. If I already hate you, then I'm not going to argue in your favor um, and I'm not going to see the the facts in your favor. So uh, th- that's the problem, though, is that this things are not uh, we, we're we're maybe we just have access to too many people that we shouldn't have access to. Maybe we well, just all need to be able to just be in cabins in, in <laughs> Fountain, Ohio. <laughs> well, we also see everybody on Twitter as a potential consumer, which is where institutions yeah. get crazy and they're sort of like you know nyu or princeton or wherever i mean it doesn't matter apple google like it doesn't matter like institutions see twitter and they're like oh my god we might lose some clicks we might lose a subscriber we might you know the new york times is freaking out about you know every time they have an op-ed that doesn't jive they're ah we got to get another op-ed like let's try to keep the the people on on the hook and i think the minute institutions start to realize that it's a really surfacey thing they're investing in with social media. Um, and maybe it becomes 10% of their decision-making process rather than 90% of their decision-making process. Then I feel like, again, we can go back to being like institutions are places where there's like a deep foundation that can't really be rattled for better or worse. I'm not saying all institutions are great, yeah. but there is some, <sighs> I just, I just think it's important that things can't be blown away in one tweet. And right now things can be, and that is, that is not healthy. Even like, I think let's let horrible organizations form to the point where they can't be blown over by one tweet, because what that requires is genuine hard work from the rest of us to make sure they don't succeed. And yeah. And I, I just, I think there's a shelf life to this. Like this won't go on forever. I hope Well, people are going to get, people are going to wake up to this idea that, you know, there's more to a situation than what we hear here on Twitter, and they're going to start. People are, I, th- I feel like, people are going to start demanding to know more. Are you saying that people might become uh, woke? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they might, they might be woke. I might woke and cancel are two words that just are like nails on a chalkboard to me. They just mean again, like, like stop. People, you don't means nothing. People who use woke and cancel for either way are people who only have hammers and see everything as a nail. And I get really, yeah, that's right. I, I get really like, I'm trying real hard not to see everything as a potential cancel. Um, yeah. But I would also like to see every potential interaction I have on social media as like a potential for a conversation. I'm shocked at how many times I'm like, Hey, should we just have a podcast? Yeah. Crickets, crickets. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But like, Let's just say out loud that you don't want to have a face-to-face conversation. You'd rather just text it all. And that's fine. But I'm not going to do that with you. 
you may you forced me into it the last four or five years. Moving forward, I'm not giving you that. I think that's going to be a real hard pill to swallow for a lot of folks in a specific generation who have really thrived on this as their main sort of medicine for dealing with whatever ails them personally. This idea that Steve Reich, if we can just apologize in the right way, that's going to solve the way I see the world. Or if Kanye West can just apologize in the way that we feel like he should so all the Jews feel better. Like, I think what he said is horrible, but it's like, I don't know. Really? We're looking to Kanye for the salve for humanity? Like, like I don't... There's nothing he can say. There's yeah. nothing for anyone me, can say. Like, just, you know, like... It's hard the, work. We all have to just work hard. I, I, I think, like, you know, with, when it comes to Trump, I'm able to chill out about Trump a lot because at a certain point, I decided... And whether I'm right or wrong, I, I don't know. But I decided he was never loved as a kid. He didn't know what love looked like. Yeah, And that informs so much of what we see now mm-hmm. what exactly. i have trouble with is i'm not able to do that for his followers hmm. i can't find that grace isn't in, that weird though that you can find who, you can find it in the source yeah. of the pain but you can't find it in the people who are experiencing that pain you know like yeah, it's it's difficult for me to understand it it's like blaming not it's like uh accepting the heroin but not the user <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I see a little like, bit of it because like you and I are from small Ohio towns. We know these people. We know what these people live like and, and how that's a, an echo chamber in and of itself. Uh, and, and and I get that. But I just where I get really frustrated is like uh, when I feel people who I feel should know better hmm. still fall for stuff. I, I get I will say by it, but. what I love about God, this is going to sound awful. I am envious of Trump's ability to say whatever he wants to say to the other side. There are parts of me like, and I've been very, I felt like I've been trying to be very diplomatic in the way I talk about the far left or, or whatever, like in my life. But I completely understand why people love Trump. He's the heel. He's the, he's the Hulk Hogan who's turned to the NWO and you're finally like, I knew it. I knew it. And you're just like, no matter what he does, you're going to dye his beard black, like all of the things. And it makes total sense because the other side, as far as my experience has gone, the minute you confront them, it becomes just this like fire hose of words and labels and all this other stuff. I'm not saying the right comes out the left in a healthy way at all. But No, but it is. You're right. But it's just throw everything against the wall. The firepower is different. And so both each side is going to react differently. And I – I'm baffled that the left doesn't see that. I'm like, you yeah. don't – I also don't know anybody on the left who likes to be called a bunch of words. And that's the thing that's so funny to me. I'm just like, <laughs> what if I started calling you all these things? You know, it's like they self-destruct and become one of those fembots on Austin Powers and they just explode. You know, and read, it's like – Read the book, uh, if you haven't already. Jonathan Haidt wrote a book called uh, Righteous Minds. I know um, Jonathan Haidt, but I, I, I will, I'll check that book out. Yeah, it's a wonderful book and it chilled me out a ton about politics when I read it. I should probably mm. read it again. Because I, I can remember the effect of having read it. And what it does is it talks about the different moral foundations that each side sort of appeals to and yeah. why they believe what they believe. And it puts everything into a context that's very understandable and helps you find um, grace with, with you know, the, the people that normally piss you off on a daily basis. Yeah, my uh, you know, it's great book. You know, this there's uh, the last couple of weeks have been, as I mentioned before, I've been in a little, a bit of a depressive mode, and 
oddly, one of the things that helps me is to like watch World War II documentaries. And it's fascinating for me to look at a society that, for all intents and purposes, self-destructed, you know, Weimar Germany, post-World War I, post the Treaty of Versailles, um, economic collapse, all of these things. And I think we can very quickly look at a society and be like, oh, Hitler, um, you know, anti-Semitism, these people all hated Jews. They wanted the, they wanted the Holocaust, right? The Holocaust yeah. started in like the mid-1930s and really sure. wasn't a thing at the beginning, Right. What Hitler did at the beginning was put food on people's tables, was put money in people's pockets, was to build the economy back up so a loaf of bread didn't cost a billion marks. You know, like this wasn't – again, I'm not saying he's good. He also had the anti-Semitism wrapped up in that. But this idea that a whole society is like we hate Jews and we're going to kill them all, it's like no, no, no. That, that, came, that came as part of the package, but he seduced them in this other way that to me is the thing when I watch people look at Trump and I'm just like, oh, my God. The seductive nature here, like, like when people are seduced by politicians, that's what freaks me out. Like when people are seduced by Joe Biden, or they're seduced by Barack Obama, or they're seduced by by Trump. It's just like, yeah. I don't see it with Biden. Just, you, see, you saw it a lot with Obama, but you don't see it much with not Biden. as much you don't with see Biden. That seduction. Not as much with Biden. You're you're, you're right there, but it, it's it's to me that's the thing when I look at history, where I in terms of forgiveness. Yeah. I want to look at people and not apply the same sort of shame that the Treaty of Versailles applied to Germany post World War One, where it's gonna it's where gonna it's backfire. so overbearing and backfiring that it that it really destroys someone's psyche and makes them rebuild from a harmful place. Like yeah. I want to look at people who voted for Trump and be like, "How can I see me and you?" Sure. I totally identify with the this, idea that wants uh, to just flip the bird to the system and be like, fuck you, you know. Man, I'm going to write this down and bookmark it for next time we chat because mm-hmm. this brings up um, a lot about my art. And when I look at the routines that I wrote early mm-hmm. in my career, mm-hmm. all of them were created from a very negative place out of mm-hmm. spite for the industry. Mm-hmm. But they're also some of my some of my best pieces that I still mm-hmm. perform yeah, yeah. would never have would never have come up with these ideas if there wasn't this really hardcore satirical um mm-hmm. irreverent attitude toward magic um and uh we can talk about that that evolution at some point but yeah mike I I, gotta, I, no 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 no. i i just because stephanie's gonna be making dinner here soon and i'm gonna get in trouble if i don't rap but we can have part two and mike I, I i don't even know if we solved anything or if we even set out to solve anything and quite frankly i don't even care i just like talking to my buddy no if people and, will listen to this and they, and they nod their head you know that's that's the idea right yeah well also just to hear two people i genuinely believe that other folks hearing two people talk unscripted um which is rare still um, and also not agree on everything, ask questions of each other, and then be like, no, no, we'll pick it up next time. Like that, that's how we evolve. We don't evolve by someone being like, this is what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I, I just hope that we keep having these conversations. And I, I really, I hope people listen to your podcast because I feel like you have versions of these conversations with a ton of different types of people about various things. And I, I highly recommend uh, people listen to Mike's podcast. The internet says it's true. Um, the internet says it's true. Yeah, Every right. week is and, a different weird story from history. Like we just talked about the Weimar Republic and the Wehrmacht um, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I did an episode all about how all the Nazis were basically addicted to meth. Mm-hmm. Um, and when yeah, I say Pervitin, all, all, like Pervitin, Pervitin was like mm-hmm. issued in every. German soldiers' kit, yep. um, and specifically and, and for Operation it was Barbarossa. Pervasive. 
for Operation Barbarossa yeah, so like, for Russia. Like was because that el- eleven days without food or water going going through Russia? I mean, th- they could not have done that without meth. Nope. Um, which was early in the war, but then late in the war, it really screwed some things up. And we talked about that in this. Yeah, it all it all adds. I mean, co- yeah, Hitler got cocaine eye drops every morning. Like you know, there's there's it all adds <laughs> up at the end of the day. You know, you end up. He was on. He got ninety drugs a day, and twelve of them were narcotics. Yep. You know, and that all you know at the end of the day, that usually ends to you leading to shooting yourself in the bunker. At, you know, at the right, yeah. right chancellery, chancellery. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> so unbelievable. Uh, Anyway, Mike, this has been a real. I guess we'll end it there. That was a real high note to yeah. end it on. <laughs> suicide, suicide in the Reich bunker. <laughs> let's just talk about Hitler at the end of the podcast and just leave Mike, everyone feeling real good. Mike, you're one of my best buds. I appreciate your time. I, I love you, Josh. I, I haven't, Thanks, I haven't buddy. seen you in person in way too long. Um, but you and Ali are always. We're gonna make, we're gonna change that soon. We're gonna come this, to New York. This I, guest I bed. This guest. This guest bed here. I'll make it when you guys come. Um, this is as long uh, as there is a, a nightstand for my CPAP machine. Then we are set. Right there, buddy. I got you. So, oh man, I'll build a fucking mount for you on the wall. I'll get you. I'll get you hooked up. You'll have CPAP coming from from the top, from the sides. It'll be great. Nice. Hey love man, it. love you. Tell Ali I said hey, and uh, and uh, I, I hope will. to see you soon. Okay. All right, man. Thank you. All right, see you, buddy. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum. LiquidDrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out. LiquidDrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, DunleavyPans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y Pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on uh, in so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner builder. Um, just a really nice guy. Very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check him out. And finally, Aleandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan-centric. You can check him out at mangochowclothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out, mangochowclothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.